0: The scripture this morning is from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul.
1: Thanks, Cindy. Well, good morning. I'm David, pastor here at Current. Welcome, especially if this is your first time here, or one of your first few times here. We're so glad you could join us. I hope, uh, for those of you who've been here, I hope that the that this series, Seasons of the Soul, as we work our way through the book of Psalms, has been helpful to you. Uh, seasons of the Soul, the idea being, you know, just as there are different seasons of a, of a given year, there are different seasons of our soul. Seasons of ups, seasons of that, that feel a lot more down. And what we said on the very, at the very beginning is the book of Psalms is like a medicine chest. It's like a medicine chest that we're able to turn to and get help for, when, for whatever we face in this life. Another way of thinking of it is, it's like it is it's a book of case studies. So it's not a textbook, it's a book of case studies. So like a textbook would be, we'd have formulas here, we'd have how-tos, we could go to these Psalms and we could read, okay, I'm facing this, I need to do this, 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 and then okay, I'm good to go. We don't have that, we have something far better. We have real flesh and blood people wrestling through, dealing with real flesh and blood life circumstances. So for instance, we've seen David struggle with severe feelings of anxiety, borderline depression. We've seen David deal with false accusations, slander in his life. Uh, last week, we looked at Moses, who was dealing with lack of a dwelling place, like we were just saying about. Uh, somebody who struggled with never having a, a real home, but, but it wasn't a struggle actually for him. He, ha- he found his home, his dwelling place in the Lord. So all these very specific things that we can turn to and, and receive help from and, and in when we, when we look to, uh, in hard times, when we look to the book of Psalms. But today's psalm is unique in that it's different from all of those. It's a very unique psalm uh, in, in this book uh, in its entirety. There's a lot of other, uh, there's there's a few other psalms that are similar to it, but for the most part, it's quite unique in that it is not specific in what it is talking about, but quite general in its scope. Okay, so what we have here is, is a psalm that says, if you look at the very first part of it, you know, it gives us a little, it says Psalm 1 in your Bibles, and it says it's of David. That's about as much context as we're given here. Okay, you know, sometimes we're told what David is facing at what time in his life uh, he's facing what he is. And then even from the content of the psalm itself, we're not really clued into, oh, it's when he was in this part of his life or when he was facing that. It's very general in its scope. And as such, it's actually very helpful in that it, can, it not only shows us that we can face anything, it thoroughly equips us so for those moments, for those seasons of the soul when it feels like we can't face what it is we're facing It equips us for for any of these times. It starts with, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. You want to know why you can face anything that life will throw at you? And I mean anything. It's that God is unimaginably for you. God is unimaginably for you. Forget not all his benefits is the word there. Uh, if I were to ask you what the Christian faith is about, like what's the central claim of the Bible, what would you say? Uh, they've done a number of surveys on this uh, that, you can, that you look at. I, I've kind of, I can informally speak into this. What most folks will say when they're asked what, you know, what, what's the, the, the central claim of the Bible is something to the effect of it's about morality. It's about ethics, um, which is not to say is a bad answer, because certainly there's morality and ethics in the Bible. But as far as the central claim, as far, as far as the central message of the Bible, I actually misses it by a long shot. The Bible is about God's gospel, literally His good news, that He, that he wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with us if we would just receive it. And... What we see is if we have that relationship, from that relationship, the implication, the promises, the benefits from there will help us face anything. Uh, David shows us that if we, if, we, if we can let this really sink into us, we can face anything. Put another way, if you're worried, right now you're going through something hard and you're worried, you're scared, maybe you're bitter, maybe you're struggling with, with feelings of, of uh, lack of hope. Uh, What you have in this psalm is showing you that you need not be. Um, Do you ever struggle, for instance, with guilt? Verse 3 says, he's the one who forgives all your sins. Do you ever feel, am I ever going to get any better? Verse 3 says, he's the one who heals all your diseases. By the way, that word has both the connotation of physical and spiritual in the Hebrew. Are you feeling dishonored or disrespected or maybe unvalued? Verse 4, he crowns you with loving and kindness and compassion. Are you afraid of dying? Again, verse 4, the Lord redeems your life from the pit. So no matter what you're facing, God loves you. His promises, his benefits can more than sustain you. They can lift your soul. Now, we don't have time to go through all of these benefits, all these promises here. Uh, each one of them would be a sermon in their own right. Um, so how do we narrow it down? It seems to me we should, we should especially at least focus on the one that he talks about first and the one that he talks about not just one time but several times throughout the psalm if you look, and that is forgiveness. Who for God who forgives all your sins. Clearly, forgiveness is central to what David is saying here, central to something that ministers to our souls, lifts our souls, something that we all need, something that we all long for even if we don't realize it. Uh, when we first started Current, there was a family who came because they got a postcard in the mail and they figured, huh, I'll go check that out. They had no spiritual beliefs. Uh, They were from uh, from another country and uh, had very limited um, culturally... Culturally based exposure to Christianity is kind of kind of their background. So they came just thinking, "Hey, we'll we'll check this out." And it was really fun. I got to know the dad uh, that that first time that they visited. Got to have a fun conversation. I could see that things were really. He was really intrigued by what he was experiencing, by what he was hearing in terms of what the Bible taught, um, and not just academically speaking, but something stirring in his heart. So I was delighted when they came back first. At first, it was kind of coming back from week to week, you know, uh, from from time to time, and then they started coming a little bit more regularly, week to week. Um, And I remember after one message, kind of more on a whim, and I think this is actually the first time we ever did this. I said, "Hey, we're going to make ourselves available to pray. I'll come sit down here if you want to come up and pray." So you know, everybody cleared out except for some folks who wanted to pray. A gal who was who was sitting real close got some prayer, um, and he was just kind of over here uh, waiting his turn, but not just standing there. We're talking like pacing. So like looking at the ground, just kind of one of these things, like, okay, I saw him out of the corner of my eye, like whatever he's thinking about, is like, okay, it'll be, here we go. And sure enough, when he, sits down, when he sits down, he says, David, you've been talking a lot about forgiveness. Does, does God really forgive the way that you say he forgives? And I remember when he said that, I got emotional because you know that that question is not asked in a vacuum. There's a story behind it and, um, and I said, you know, yeah, you know, if, if the Bible's clear on anything, which is clear on many things, it, it's clear on forgiveness. God forgives you, loves you, if you would receive him. He said, okay. But apparently that answer wasn't good enough, so he asked again, same thing. You, you, he asked me three times. Finally, it, just, it, it kind of popped in my head. I, was just, I, I told him the story of, of when Jesus was on the cross, there were two other criminals also on the each of their own crosses at the same time. And it's, uh, scriptures tell us that one of these criminals was hurling insults on Jesus during the time. Which, by the way, if you were hung up on the cross back then, uh, culturally speaking, that meant you were, you had done a capital offense. You know, these guys were up there. And they were, and one dude was like literally, as he was dying, dying, like uh, uh, messing, or just hurling insults on Jesus, which is like, wow, okay. Um, so he was doing that. But then the, the other guy who was on the cross... Said, hey, quit that out to the other guy. He said, Jesus, in his own way, he asked Jesus with his own way. He said, he asked for forgiveness, and Jesus gave it to him with the reassurance saying, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I stopped and I said, I said, you know, friend, I can't help but think, if the Bible is teaching that that man at that time received forgiveness because he was open to receiving it, I can't help but think, yeah, he does. He forgives you and that our friend put his faith in the Lord. Um, there was a, another guy uh, who uh, was invited early on to come to Current, um, had gone to church a bunch of times when he was a little kid, but for years, decades, hadn't been. Um, was invited to come to Current, and his response was, Oh, no, I can't go. I can't go. Well, why not? We can't go because I just, got, God wouldn't have me back. God wouldn't have me back. It, you know, he, he said the, the classic line, that the, the church building, the walls would fall on me. I went. And so he was told the story of the prodigal son. Maybe you know this most famous of, of stories of Jesus. The story of the young man who went to his father, as Jesus told it, and said, you know what? I don't want to live under your roof anymore. I'm going live by your rules. I want my inheritance early. I'm going wait until you die, dad. Give it to me. I want to go and live it up. So he went off and he lived it up. Didn't take long for that to not work out too well for him. Hit rock bottom Got to the place where he was just thinking about it. Over time, he's like, you know what? It would be really, it would be go a lot better for me if I went back to my dad and asked for forgiveness, and he, you know, took me in as a servant. I mean, he's not gonna take me in as a son. He takes me in as a servant. That'd be way better than what I've got myself into. So he packs up. He starts heading back to where his to his home. And he is working on this little apology speech on the way, how he's going to talk to his dad. Hey, dad, I'm so sorry. Would you make me your servant? But while he's still a far way off, his dad sees him, starts running for him. And before the dude can get but a couple of words of his little apology speech, the dad smothers him with love and just says, son, you are, you have returned to me. You are my son. Kills the fatted calf, throws a big party, and celebrates. Um, that's the story of forgiveness in the Bible, and our friend said, see you Sunday. Um, God forgives. God forgives all your sins, all my sins, which means if, you might, if you're checking out the faith, or maybe you're someone who's followed Jesus for many years, if you're struggling at all with feelings of guilt, if there's a burden there, God lifts that burden. Uh, God forgives you if you would receive him. God forgives all sin. He's unimaginably for you, forgives all sins. Another benefit which, which is worth highlighting here, we can't, again, talk about all of them, but this is kind of a, a central one to what he's saying. It also encompasses a lot of them, a lot of the others, is he loves you as a father. Uh, verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That word compassion comes up over and over again in this text, and all Hebrew commentators say it's, it's a quite astounding word. It's a very emotional word. It's a word that talks about a deep emotional connection between God and us. God loves you and me with intimate compassion. Look, does God forgive all your sins? We've covered that. Verse 3, yes, he covers all your sins. But does that mean he just lets any and everything go all the time, willy-nilly, whatever, hunky-dory? No. No. Why not? Because he loves us as a father. Um, Verses 8 and 9, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Look at that. What, What does it say? That he's never going to get angry? It's not saying that. It's saying that he's going to be slow to his anger. And he's not going to harbor it forever. God does get upset when we do things that are apart from his will. Namely, things that harm our relationship with him, harm our relationship with others. And why does he get upset for a short period? Uh, Because he's our father. It's precisely because he loves us that he he will get upset from time to time. Look, what does a good father do when their child acts up, um, gets into trouble, doing something that is clearly not what they should be doing? Um, you know, I don't know, it says a lie, a, the, the, a good father, a good parent will f- see that moment for what it is and speak into it or bring along with it some sort of, you know, try to do as little as possible to get the kid's attention, to, to kind of help them not become a liar, but to just address it then and there. Maybe put them on a time, I don't know, put, you know, ground them depending on the age, um, but he's, he does that, which we of course call discipline, for the sake of loving us. Why is this helpful to consider as we think about facing hard times or whatever life helps at us? It's immensely helpful. It means if you're facing hard times, in one respect, it means that, let's say you're struggling with the thought, man, is God bringing this upon me? Is he just upset with me? Is he? You know that the worst it could be, the worst it could be is God using that situation to get your attention and discipline you. By the way, it doesn't necessarily mean that. There's so many things that happen in our life that aren't necessarily related to what we've done. But let's say it is something he's done for you. I said, worst case scenario, that's actually a good scenario because he's using that for your good and mine. Um, Even hard things become hard. For our good. Verse 5 He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's not saying he's like some genie, you know, and that he'll do whatever, whenever we, uh, whatever we want, whenever we want. Um, but it's saying, even when we face hard, hard times, if you would just receive what he makes freely available to you, you will have peace, even, even joy. Okay, in short, again, we can't look at all of these. In short, what is David saying here in the song? He's saying, We get what we don't deserve. Um, Verse 10 puts it plainly. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. You know what we deserve? And, you know, David actually shows us. Verses 14 and 16. For he knows we are formed. How we are formed, he he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over them and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. That's what we deserve. But that's not how it was always supposed to be. Uh, We were put in the Garden of Eden, and we were supposed to last. We weren't supposed to die. We weren't supposed to lose our place. But because of sin, we were cast out of the Garden. Now we have lost our place. We are temporary. We pass away like grass. And yet, the point here is, with God's unimaginable love for us as a father, we don't get what we deserve. So then the question then becomes, and this is really the critical critical question, well, how then? How is it we don't get what we deserve? Because there's a tension here in this text. I wonder if you uh, heard it when Cindy read it earlier. I wonder if you felt it even as it was said. Because what David is saying is, praise the Lord, my soul, all my innermost being, praise his holy name, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's these wonderful benefits, including the forgiveness of sins. But did you notice that there's a qualifier throughout this text? Uh, We see it in verses 11, 17, and 18. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him, with those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. You see the tension there. Which is it, David? For instance, here's his benefit: you will receive forgiveness. God will forgive all your sins if you fear Him, if you obey His precepts, which is essentially the same thing in what David's saying here. If you, if He will forgive you if you obey Him. But if we obey Him, we won't need forgiveness. You following? Isn't that a contradiction? Actually, it's the great mystery. Uh, even the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture writers were like, I don't, know. I don't know how this makes sense that God is both just on the one hand, perfectly just on the hand, while at the same time loving and gracious. That he does demand that we follow him, and by the way, perfectly. He expects that of us, and yet he forgives us, loves us, cares for us from everlasting to everlasting. How does that work? Um, David didn't know fully then. It seems to me we, can, we, can, we find that answer in that little word, covenant. And the, the Bible's understanding, broader spoke, higher, higher arching story, what that word means and how it plays out in, in the big, bigger biblical story. That word covenant literally means relationally binding agreement. Okay, So it's kind of like a contract, but, but, but the legal part of a contract, plus like an intimately relationship relationally binding uh, 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 deal. So, so think um, you know, traditional wedding vows. It's kind of like a covenant. We're making vows. I'll be faithful to you and you be faithful to me. That sort of thing. Um, there are many covenants in the Hebrew Scriptures. If you read through it, you'll see, for instance, Moses, when he went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, he came down with the law. That was a covenant. If you obey these Ten Commandments, I will... I will, uh, you know, it'll go well for you, essentially. There's a number of different covenants. You can find them. But actually, really, only there's one covenant in the Bible. Um, and it was it's essentially said this way. I will be your God, God said to us, and you will be my people if you're faithful to me. I will be faithful to you if you, if you be faithful to me. That covenant was the covenant given, for instance, in the Garden of Eden. It was given to Adam and through Adam all humankind. If you are faithful to me... I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's why the tree was there, by the way, the forbidden fruit. I've had friends over the years say, that's, why would God put the f- tree in the garden if, you know, if that's a way for us to just jack it all up? Like, Why would he do that? Like, Actually, the tree's there for the most beautiful of all reasons, if you think about it. It was the, essentially the only way Adam and Eve, that we, through them, could express it. No, you know what? We really are choosing you, God. We're not choosing ourselves we're going to choose you. But if you know the story, you know it doesn't take but a page in your Bible for Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. What were they doing? They were saying, God, you're, you're, all, you're good and all that, but you know what? We really want to do things our way. That's essentially sin, by the way. It's, it's rejecting God our relationship with him, and what he calls us into. And as a result, sin came into the world. It marred all our relationships. It marred our relationship with him. To use language like we see here in Psalm 103, our lives became like grass. That's why, for instance, God gave us the law. You know what the law is essentially? It's a reiteration of that covenant. God is saying, okay, you've now like eaten of the fruit. Okay, I'm going to show you what I've called you into, who you are designed to be, for instance, the Ten Commandments, those sort of things, the precepts, as, as as David talks about here, if you would just obey his precepts. These are the things that you would, it's a reiteration of the covenant. If you would just be faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. But you know what the law ended up actually doing for us? Because if you read any bit of your Bible, you know that not only, you know, all the people of, of, of Israel, just including David, couldn't follow the covenant, even anywhere close. You know what the Bible, showed, the covenant ended up being for us? It ended up being something that shows us how Far short we fall. How far we just miss out. And we don't do the things that he calls us to. We don't fear him. We don't keep his covenant. So then, how is it the Lord is, has this love for us that is from everlasting to everlasting for those who keep his covenant? That is why Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, uh, when he instituted communion, which we take here from time to time, he said these words after supper. He took the cup when he had supped, saying, "This is the new covenant in my blood. It is for the forgiveness of sins for many." Jesus, the gospel is Jesus, the Son of God, came to live the life that we could not live and died the death that we all deserve. That the gospel is He came to fulfill the covenant on our behalf. That He became like grass. That He was rejected. And yet, through him, he took what our sins deserved only to give us the benefits that we do not. Um, that's why the prophet Isaiah said this 700 years before Christ, speaking about the Christ who would come. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, was brought, uh, that has brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, you are healed. Romans 5, uh, interesting, you can check it out later, Um is one of the early church uh, leaders writing to one of the early churches, Uh, he spells it out this way. Just as sin and all the consequences of sin came through one man, that is Adam, so too grace, love, forgiveness entered the world through Jesus Christ if we would receive him. David didn't know half of that. David didn't know half of that. That how God would show ultimately that the Lord was for him in these amazing ways, even as he calls him and expects him to live a life that he just knew he couldn't, he just knew that God was so amazing. He got to see the ways shown to Moses. What verse is that? Verse 7, he made his ways known to Moses, but we get to see the ways, his ways known to us through Jesus. And yet still, David, not knowing half of that, just erupts in praise. It's like Beethoven, Beethoven's symphony, just like, moving higher and higher in energy at the end. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. He ends where he starts. Uh, So what do we do with this psalm? You know, what's our our takeaway then? Uh, I think we need to start with the low-hanging fruit you know, the most straightforward one that, that can't be overlooked. I think this psalm uh, calls us to foster a heart of gratitude and praise. That much is clear. Um, we need to we need to praise God for who He is. I love the songs today, how they just they really mirrored a lot of what we're talking about here. God is worthy to be praised. He's unimaginably for us. But I think in terms of our series, as we think about seasons of the soul and what this means for us, uh, even in the midst of hard times, is that this psalm shows us we can face anything life will throw at us but it's important to understand that won't happen just on its own we can't just face anything life has if if, you know it it, we we have to cultivate it and what I love about the psalm is David shows us how verse one praise the lord my soul all my inmost being praise his holy name praise the lord my soul and forget not all his benefits who's he talking to it's interesting most of the psalms he's actually talking to god Sometimes he's talking to other people. Here he's talking to himself. He's talking to his soul, my inmost being. And what he's showing us, he's modeling for us and showing us our our need for is that we need to preach the gospel to our hearts. We need to forget not God and his benefits, verse 2. That seems to suggest to me that it's easy to forget. It's easy for us to forget who God is and who God is for us. So we must actively, purposefully remind ourselves To let it sink into our inmost being. So, how do we do that? You know, a lot of a lot of us will say, "Oh, I pray." A lot of us will say, "Oh, I read my Bible," but that's not what David is talking about here. Some will even say, "I think about what I believe," but that too is not what David is talking about. John Newton has this great, funny example uh, to kind of show us what David is doing here as he's meditating, as he's contemplating, wanting. all these benefits, these promises in the Lord to kind of sink down into his innermost being, Uh, how David's not just saying, oh, I believe that, in other words. Uh, Imagine you go into a room and your friend's there reading a newspaper, okay? So your friend's just chilling, reading his newspaper. You come in and you say, dude, there is a big, ugly, hairy tarantula crawling up your sleeve and it's about to get on your neck. And he goes, "Uh uh-huh, okay. And you say, did you hear me? Yeah, Uh uh-huh then what did I say to you? You said there's a big, ugly, hairy tarantula falling, you know, going up my arm and it's about to be my neck. Uh-huh. Like five, ten seconds passed. Oh, you said there's a big, hairy... And he gets up and he jumps. He starts going crazy. He said it two times. What was the difference between the two times he said this? The first time, it was an intellectual thing for him. He understood, kind of like, you know, he just kind of was 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 processing the information in, uh, as, a, as an intellectual idea. The second time, he had taken it in all the way to his heart. Um, it had gone all the way down into the areas where it was deeply affecting him. Into the, in, into the, his, his, uh, it was central to his consciousness. Um, he understood the ramification. He understood the implications of it. He thought it all out, and in a second, and what's you know, not hard to do when it comes to tarantulas, he was moved to action. Um, and he, what John Newton says... Is if you say, I believe God loves me, but you are afraid, or you are bitter, or you are scared, or you're worried, you are like the guy who says, oh yeah, I know that there's a hairy tarantula going up. Um, No, you don't, he would say. You know it, but you don't know it. What David is showing us here is that he's preaching God's promises and his unimaginably great love for us, that he is for us down deep into his heart. So let's take an example. So let's say you're feeling, you know, dishonored or disrespected or not valued in the workplace or among friends. Okay, this scripture says God crowns you with love and compassion. Can you preach that to your heart? Um, you know, it's interesting. Most of the time when I've read that scripture, actually this is one of those psalms uh, that, that I had memorized as a little guy, I would just think, oh, that's interesting. There's like glory that's a part of the deal and we follow God and it's probably future glory. No, no, no. no. It's saying crowns us. It's in the here and now. When you're feeling disrespected or not valued at all, do you realize that the only one who actually imparts significance of any weight calls you his daughter, calls you his son? And here is what is is mind-boggling to me. Not only does he give you the sole antidote Helping you when somebody doesn't value you or disrespects you. Not only does he give you the sole antidote, he doesn't just say the one who crowns you, period, full stop. He says the one who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, which means he, gives you the, uh, he empowers you to love the very ones who are undervaluing you, disrespecting you. Um, because of what God has done for you, because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you can actually extend, you are empowered, to love the very ones who are dishonoring you. Or take, again, forgiveness. I think it's, I talked about it a couple times. I'm going to talk about it again. I think it's worthwhile because you say, oh, I know God forgives me. I know, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor somebody will will understand intellectually that God forgives me, but still be like, I'm not so sure when it comes to this area, what I've done, or this thing that I've done over and over. Uh, Does God want you to keep doing those things? Of course not. Um, but you need to preach to your heart as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgression from us. Note that he doesn't say sin there. I think This is interesting. He doesn't say as far as from the east is the west, so far as he removed our sin from us. He says the word transgression. You know what the, the word transgression means, literally? It means willful rebellion. He doesn't want you to keep in that sin, but definitely, definitely doesn't want you to be handcuffed by guilt. God is imaginably good. To us far more than we deserve he is for you sometimes we need help to let that sink in in our own life as we read the scriptures let david's words i encourage you to take this psalm home just meditate on it think about it Um, but also in community this is obviously on our hearts here at current you know sometimes we need folks in our lives to help speak into or just even be there to listen but you got to be active and intentional you got to be around people like david that will be around people who are looking and you know, even in the midst of their life circumstances that are hard, excuse me. We need people around us. So to be practical on that end, you can join a group in the fall. Uh, you can join a serving team. Like serving, te- serving, a big part of serving is obviously to get things done. But our real hope and vision for the serving team is this is another way to get plugged in to spark relationship that can be meaningful and helpful to us. But whatever, wh- however it is, Uh, If you're facing hard times, if you're feeling down and out, know that he's there waiting to lift up your heart, lift up your soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful psalm of praise. Thank you for the many unimaginable ways you're for us. Most of all, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, that we can have all this, that we can have you. Please help us in times of trouble. Forget not your many kindnesses to us. Help them to sink into our inmost being. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.